our series, Wake Up Call. And as you turn there to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter um, 8, uh, uh, it'll also be up on the screen if you have a, um, a, a Bible or something of that sort, um, that would be helpful. And uh, I'll give you a quick brief thing real quick while I set my, um, try to set my timer here. I don't know how to do this. Here we go. Technology. You know what they say, you know, it's like the old thing, if, what, is, what does it mean when a, when a pastor takes off his watch or sets his timer up on the podium? Absolutely nothing. Thank you for ruining my joke there. Says one preacher to another. I don't know how to make this work. Okay, whatever. That's okay. So, let's, if, you're, if you're in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're going to start in verse uh, 1, going through verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, but real quick, uh, this is uh, Solomon's words to God's people, and very often is misunderstood as being some kind of existential philosophical musings about the meaning of life and so on. But it's really practical wisdom literature to us, and we're going to see that um, it's, it's some wake-up calls to really challenge how we are living our lives. And so if you would, uh, hear the word of God. Chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time in a just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also was vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is set fully to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this also is vanity. I, and I commend joy, for a man has nothing better under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night does one's eyes see sleep, then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out 
the work that is done under the sun. However, such man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a man, wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is the love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would speak through your holy, inspired word to us this morning. It is holy and it is inspired. In other words, it is breathed out. It is given by you. It is infallible. And what it says is true is true. And it is inerrant that it will never be proven wrong. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would uh, use your word um, and teach us through it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's been some uh, news this week, some horrible, terrible news. Um, On Wednesday, there was um, a a pretty tragic uh, shooting uh, at a school in our state, just a few hours away. And um, one of the things that struck me about the the news this time around, maybe this is common, I don't know, but one of the things that struck me was, was over and over I kept hearing the people that were either victims or new victims or a part of this thing were saying things like, I, want, I don't want this just to be another school shooting. I don't want this to just be another statistic. I want this to wake people up, in, in essence, is what people were saying. In other words, what they were saying is, we want this to be a wake-up call. That people, we would make some changes and do some things that would uh, change how things are operating so that our children aren't being gunned down in school. Now, of course, I read an amazing article. It's, uh, I think it was called Stop the, I'll use, uh, I'll Stop the bullcrap, but it was an, uh, some other language was used. And it was an article about the whole gun debate and how both sides of the debate basically are either you're totally against guns or you're totally for guns and there's no in-between, there's no margin, and that's just bull. <laughs> it was what the article was saying. And if we don't come together and figure out something, then this stuff's going to keep happening or whatever. But regardless, we would all like at least for this to matter and make, become a wake-up call. And that's what Solomon is, being, is doing in his book here. He is laying out a series of wake-up calls. And we define a wake-up call as a person or thing that causes people to become fully alert to an unsatisfactory situation and take action to remedy it. That's a wake-up call in, in our vernacular here. And that's what Solomon has been doing. He starts off with, wake up. Life is, a, is vanity. The the Hebrew word is vapor. Life is short. I heard a cool little quote. I can't remember who said it, but it said, um, in every old person, there's a young person inside saying, what happened? Because life is short. And 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 he's saying, life is short. Life is a vapor. And, And all your pursuits are pointless. All the things that we attempt at, uh, under the sun, outside of God, and outside of Christ, don't matter because life is short and you die and you're going to leave it all here. And so let's live in light of that. Let's live 
knowing that and realizing that. And so that was the, the larger message. Whoops. Larger message of this wake-up call is that um, life is short and so on. And we've seen some others as well. Well, this week in chapter 8, we have another wake-up call. And this one is tough for me and has been my whole life. Okay, here it is. Wake-up call. We must submit to authority. Just saying that bothers me. And I'm hearing it. You must submit. We hate these things these terms they just make us our skin crawl americans don't like submitting we don't like the idea of submitting and most of us struggle very much with authority in part because authority very very often can be misused and has been and maybe even in our own lives but there's sort of a been since the 1950s 60s and so on there's sort of been a cultural movement to challenge and to usurp any and every type of authority. In other words, so there's just this constant theme of sticking it to the man. Whether you're starting your own music school or you're you know, filling in uh, for the music teacher at a school, you're sticking it to the man, right? Like a Jack Black in the movie School of Rock. You know what I'm talking about now? I have to like spell it out. But, you know, there's this idea that any kind of authority usurps my authority and my determining my pursuit of happiness, which is my right, of course, right? And so we struggle with that. But here Solomon is giving us a wake-up call. And the wake-up call is that we, God commands us to submit to authority. And here we're called to submit to all authority any authority in our lives, because that ultimately means we are submitting to God's authority. So there's a, sort of a, an assumption in this passage that by submitting to authority in our lives, by an extension, we are submitting to God's authority. And there's three ways in this passage we see we need to be submitting to God's authority. And the first of these are, Submit to God's authority and leaders. Submit to God's authority and leaders. Let's look back at verses uh, 2 through 9 in chapter 8 here. It says, um, I say, keep the, com- ki- <clears throat> Excuse me. keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. We'll stop there, okay? I'm not going to go all the way to verse 9. And so, in other words, he's saying, keep the, the command of the king. Now, Obviously, this was, he's writing in a time when there were monarchs, potentially dictators and rulers, who were in charge, totalitarian in control. But it doesn't matter. We can, by extension, pull this principle into our lives now and say that, that God has placed leaders in our lives, and we should submit to those leaders or people in our lives that God has placed in some kind of role of authority over us. And if you fast forward into the New Testament, we see the same principle. If you look at uh, Romans chapter 13, 
And you would think, oh, that's Old Testament stuff. We don't have to do that now, right? It's the period of grace. No, in the midst of the gospel of grace, one of the, the first places Paul turns in the practical application of the gospel is right here in chapter 13. He says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So let's just stop there. So here's this principle. It's the same principle that Solomon is getting at here. Is that uh, there's a God that we are to submit and place ourselves under the authority of these leaders. Why? Because they wouldn't be there unless God allowed it. They wouldn't be in that place of leadership unless they allowed it. So we may not like it. We may not appreciate the leader, whether uh, I know some, when it was Obama, they didn't like him, or now it's Trump, they don't like him, or whoever. It doesn't matter. that The reason they are there, for whatever reason, God has let them be there. However good or wicked they may be. So we are, and, so, and it says this, therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist incur judgment. So the same principle we see in Romans 13, we see here in Solomon's. Now here, Paul assumes it. Solomon assumes it. Not even assumes it, he basically says it, that some leaders are not going to be good leaders. Some leaders are not going to have the best intentions. Some leaders are going to have their own intentions at heart. Some leaders are going to be flawed. Some leaders are going to be sinful. As a matter of fact, there's actually a biblical assumption that most leaders are broken. And it's that biblical assumption actually that was pushed into our system of government that assumes that every leader has flaws. And if you give any leader way too, if you give any leader too much power, they will use it and abuse it. That's why we have systems of checks and balances. That's why every four years we get a new administration and so on. Because if the people decide they don't like what's happening, they can replace that. Now, in Solomon's day, that wasn't the case. They didn't have that right. A king normally held power forever. And his kids got the power and so on down the line. Until some bloody revolution or so on. And what's amazing about our government, just like as a side note, it's flawed and messed up. And, and this, we've talked about the injustice and the oppression that happens in our country every day today. Uh, it's messed up as our system. We have a system that, is, number one, assumes that there is people with flaws that lead us. But there is a regular transition of power quite frequently, at least every four to eight years, and, some, and then under that more, there's a, a peaceful transfer of power. You go to most countries, a transfer of power, power is a bloody war or coup. Just a side note there. Okay, so it's assumed by Solomon here that some leaders are not going to have our best intentions. Some leaders are going to be bad leaders. And, and yet... The command is the same, that we 
we place ourselves and stay under that leadership. Because it is God's leadership. If God has put them there, then we must submit to them. We'll get into more of this. But like, think about this. Um, the first king that Israel ever got. Israel, um, after the time of Judges, Samuel was their prophet. And they began to clamor, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. And so Samuel goes to God. And, and, and God says, okay, if they want a king. Go tell them that the, if you're going to have a king... He's going to exact high taxes from you. He's going to send your children off to war. And he's going to take your daughters and make them his concubines and wives and concubines. And he makes a whole list of all these horrible bad things that are going to happen as a king. We're having him as a king. And they say, we don't care. We need a king. And he says, okay, you can have it. And all of that happened and it's continued to happen ever since, right? Uh, Basically, I mean, even with David and Solomon and so on, the best kings of Israel exacted high taxes, I mean, and so on. And all of this happened, and that was assumed by God that if you put a flawed sinner in charge of anything, there's, it's a problem. It's a problematic situation, or it potentially could be a problematic situation. David also recognize this and also in first samuel later on in chapter 24 david is being pursued after so david had after this point had been anointed by god samuel has been anointed by samuel and and be proclaimed to be you will be king well saul hears about this and king saul doesn't like this and begins to pursue his life y'all know the story i hope heard this at least in sunday school at some point and saul is chasing after him and David and his men see Saul and his army coming, and they hide in some caves. Well, Saul goes to the bathroom in this cave. And he doesn't know that David and his men are in the back of this cave. And David sneaks up, and instead of taking Saul's life, cuts a thing out of his gar- cuts a piece off of his garment. And even after doing that, feels remorse and, 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 and basically repents, saying, Who am I? To even lay a hand on God's anointed king. And he goes, eventually tells Saul, you know, reveals himself to Saul and says, look, I I could have killed you, but I didn't and so on. But David recognized even a king who's coming after him, trying to kill him, even after he had been anointed. He said, until it was God's time, I'm going to wait. I'm going to do I'm going to wait for God to do this. It's not for me to do. And so God, David even knew that if a leader is in place, that's for God to deal with. And so. What do we do? When a leader's crappy. What do we do when leaders don't do what we need? When leaders are more interested in their own interests than ours? Or what do we do when they are just downright wicked? Now, and and the first thing, so so he asked the question. You know, he's kind of asking this question. He says, obey the word of the king. Keep the king's command because it's owed to him. Then it says this. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for whatever, for, for he does whatever he pleases and so on. He's saying, you know, don't just go into this rebellion. Don't go into this outright forward assault to this guy's authority. 
but rather submit and obey his word. But that's not all he says here. Okay, so he definitely says, so we're not to just rebel against the authority, but we're to wait. We're to take our time. Um, take, let's see, look here. I mean, um, verses 6 and 7, if you're looking there with me. He says, for there is a time and a way for everything. Although a man's troubles lie heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? And so, the command here is to submit, not to openly rebel and to, to, to disrespect and, and to try to supplant this authority, but rather wait and work to make it better. And in our country, thankfully, we have open, regular means to do that. We can oppose the president. We can... Uh, work to elect other officials, we can lobby. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can do to make our particular situation better. But what if it's a boss and it's your paycheck? You could look for a new job. You wait for him to get fired and replaced. You know, there's any number of things. But what if it's people in our lives that God has put in our lives that we don't have a lot of control over? We have to submit and allow God to do what he's going to do. Because God has placed them there according to him. Okay? Now here's the thing, though. This is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When you become a Christian, you should be submitting to the authority and lordship of God. If not, if you have not submitted to God's authority as your Lord, I might wonder and would question whether you genuinely are a believer. Because a part of becoming a believer is submitting ourselves to God and His Word and His command, whether we like it or not. And by extension, in that, we become people who can live under authority, even though it might be tough for us. There might be something we struggle with. Okay? And so... We only submit to a, a human authority under God's authority. So what's, what Solomon is not saying here is, let's say Hitler's in charge. And Hitler's commanding us to go and exterminate a race of people. We should disobey that command. Because it directly contradicts God's command, God's word, and so on. So he's not telling us to do that. Okay? We submit under God's authority. Okay? And because of this, if we really are submitting ourselves to God's authority and, un- and because of that under us, okay, we also believe that, we, that everything we receive and given in this life, good and bad, is handed to us from God's authority. Which brings me to my second point. Okay? So the first point is... That would submit to God's authority in leaders above us. Okay, secondly, we submit to God's authority in unfairness. We submit to God's authority in unfairness. So when we see events like this past Wednesday, it's easy to say, why God? Why would you allow, you know, 14 and 15-year-olds I mean, to die like that? 
Why would you allow this? Or we could go on and say, why are so many wicked people that should receive a bullet, and instead they walk, you know, they're the ones that should receive a bullet, and they get to have, have a happy life on a yacht somewhere. That's the way it seems in this world. It reminds me, um, there's a really despicable, nasty guy. His name's Kobe. Remember Save Kobe campaign? Remember that? It was like, we'll get awareness of this man who has built an army in, in the South Sudan and who kidnaps children and has them murder their own parents. Coney, excuse me, thank you. Appreciate that. Coney, yeah, excuse me. Would, would, would kidnap children, have them, some of them kill their own parents and enlist them into an army to fight. Despicable. And um, my brother-in-law was a part of Special Forces uh, uh, operation out of Uganda to try to capture this guy. And I was rooting for him. You know why? Because I wanted this guy to get captured, tried, and hung by his toes somewhere, right, or something. Skinned alive, drawn and quartered. Let's find some medieval ways, you know. Let's get, let's get medieval on the guy, you know, because they, they knew how to do it. Uh, because this guy is nasty evil and despicable and guess what he slips away gets away now he's somewhere running around doing his thing still and that just gets to me because there's a sense i don't know if you guys get it that life is not fair life does not give us and does not treat us the way we would hope look at uh, verse 14 he says there is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. This is just simple unfairness. We say, that, I mean, little kids know the sense of this right away. When little kids all the time say, that's not fair, right? You know, we, I talked about this. I, sp- I spoke again last, this past week at the PCA Academy, and uh, we were talking about uh, jealousy, and and this, and you know, every kid. If I just if I just start that phrase, the whole crowd would be able to finish it. It was great. I was like, that's not, and they all yell fair because they all say it all the time, right? You know, we're talking about my kids over ice cream. You know, one of the one of my kids gets the last ice cream, last bit of ice cream, and the other doesn't. It's, you know, a battle. I mean, it's, you know, you would have thought uh, serious injustice has occurred. And like we mentioned a few weeks ago, we live in a world where injustice exists and oppression exists. And we are a part of that. And we, we hopefully, we talked about this in terms of race, that some of us that are the dominant uh, majority in this country need to recognize that we don't experience injustice and oppression in our lives regularly that maybe other people do. And we need to listen and hear and be responsive to that. That's the call of God to us. But there's always, we also said there's always a downrange of injustice. But injustice and unfairness exist in this life. And Solomon recognizes this. But here's the thing. There's a truth and a teaching that runs loudly 
throughout the entire Bible is that everything we experience, good or bad, ultimately comes from God. Every moment, every experience, every injustice, every positive thing, every negative thing, everything in your life comes from God. God is sovereign. He is provident over everything that happens. There is not anything that happens that doesn't happen outside of his God, his will. And if it did, he couldn't be God. He is sovereign and he has authority over everything. And so, if that is true, we are called to submit to God's authority even when it doesn't make sense. And very often it's not. I know a lot of you are going through stuff. We pray for y'all. And we know y'all are going through things in your lives. And I know y'all ask, why? Why are in these situations? Why are we suffering this? Why this? Why me? Here's the thing, though. We all... When bad things happen to us, or bad things are happening to us, we inevitably think, I'm a good guy. I'm one of the good guys. Why has this happened to me? This is supposed to happen to other people. Don't we think that? Come on. I'm, I'm one of the good guys. And, and in the movies, the good guys win. You know what I mean? And there's, there's movies, um, there's a couple of them, I won't name them, but where you'll have a character in the movie, and he just, he's, he's, like, he's like the guy you like, but everything bad happens to him. Y'all, y'all, you know, I hate those movies. There's one, I think, uh, Step Brother, and there's some others. Like, I mean, they just drive me crazy because the good guy is supposed to have good things happen to him, man. And I think that when bad things happen to me, I think I'm, I'm one of the good guys. This shouldn't happen to me. But here's a question for you. Who says you're the good guy? I like uh, R.C. Sproul, who just, who just passed, uh, we say it, right? <laughs> R.C. Sproul, who just recently passed away, used to say this, and it stuck with me. He said, we always ask, why do bad things happen to good people? But we should really be asking, why do good things happen to us bad people? Now, we like to compare ourselves, say, I'm not as bad as Coney. I'm not as bad as those people. But in God's eyes and in his perfect righteousness, we're all the bad guys. So the real question is, why should we expect anything good? Frankly, we should expect a lot worse. We should be thankful for the good that we do get. One guy said this, if we are complaining about how life is so unfair, we are forgetting that we need to be praising God for being an unfair God. Because if God were fair, we would be without hope. That's the reality. And so what we do is, when we don't understand what's happening, and it doesn't make sense, we submit. I know, I hate the word. We submit and say, God, I don't need to know. You know, soldiers on the battlefield are trained. That's what boot camp is all about, is that that men are trained 
to, they just get order after order, and sometimes they're stupid little orders. You know, like you got to have your bed made just right, and you bounce a quarter off of it, and you have to shine your boots just right, and you have to do this this fast and do all this. I, I've never been to boot camp, but I've heard a lot of stories. And all these little, little orders, they have to march just right, and they have to go here, and they go there, and they do this, do that, and, and it's just all this going and doing and doing, and all these little orders, 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 orders. And the, and the point of it all is, is that they become so accustomed, so conditioned to receiving orders that when bullets are flying and the lead is going, that when they say, go that way, and that's where, they're com- when it's com- where it's coming from, that's where they go. Because I've read a lot about uh, World War II history, and one of the deadliest things that can happen to a group of soldiers is that they, they get pinned down, they're being shot at, and bombs are falling, and the, the, the natural human instinct is to stop and hunker under cover. But the problem with that in war is, this counterintuitive thing, if you stay in one place, guess what? You give your enemy a stationary target. They're going to zero in on you, and you're not going to make it. And so they need to follow orders that say, move, even though it doesn't make any sense. Keep moving, move, go to the, you know, keep assaulting, whatever it is. Follow the order, even if it doesn't make sense. Now, obviously, in war and in human life, the orders might be mistaken or whatever. We can go into all that. But the point is, in our lives, is that we would submit to God and his authority, even in our unfairness. And lastly, and this is sort of the whole point of this chapter, is that we would submit to God's authority and have joy. That we would submit to God's authority and have joy and peace. Look at verse 1. He says, who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of the thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. He begins this passage about submitting to you know, potentially evil rulers and the unfairness and injustice of this world. And he says, who, who, who is wise? And it's the wise person whose face shines, and the hardness of his face is changed. In other words, there's a contentment, there's a peace, there's a joy in someone that has wisdom. Okay? In other words, in wisdom, the wisdom that he's given here, we can have contentment in the face of rulers and authorities that may not agree with us, and in the unfairness and injustice in life that we face. But how? Let's ask this. How do we do this? If we've seen rulers are going to be evil and unjust, if evil deeds won't be punished quickly, if bad things happen to righteous, the righteous, and good things happen to wicked, how are we going to have joy and contentment in that? How is that even possible? Well, he tells us. Okay? Tells us in a couple of places here. Look at verse 8 with me. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war nor wickedness to deliver those who they are giving to. In other words, he's saying, you know, rulers think they're in charge of everything. They think they can do everything. They think, but they don't. They are not in charge. So here's the thing. 
matter how bad our rulers are, no matter how stupid they are, how mistakes they make or evil they commit, they are not in charge. It is God that is. So we can stop freaking out. Somebody's hand is on the wheel. Follow? Verses 12 and 13, he says, Though a sinner does does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. In other words, he's saying that even though it seems like the wicked get away with it, and it's going to go well with them, he's saying no. It is not going to go well with them. It is going to go well with those who fear God. And we can trust that somehow, though we can't see it, we can't understand it, that God is going to make this work out the right way. That in the end, the good guys win. Okay, and then, look down in verse uh, 15, into verse 9, he says, And I commend joy. For a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how either day nor night does he, as I sleep, um, excuse me, sleep, then I saw all the work that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, however much many may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of the Lord. Or hand of God. In other words, no matter, we can try to figure it out, we can seek it out, we can toil, we can struggle, we can fight, we can freak out, we can despair, we can go nuts, and in the end, he had it all controlled out and what worked out anyway in the end. You know what I'm saying? It's like, stop freaking out, calm down, submit to him, and just enjoy your life. Let go and have some peace. Now, I want to close with one last thing, because this idea of submission is hard for us. And I want to say that the greatest motivation, beyond finding joy and peace and submission to God, is realizing that Jesus himself, when he came and lived a life, lived a life in complete, full submission to God. So much so, he says, what I, I don't say a thing. What I say is what God has given me. And he goes on like this his whole life. And then, at the very end of his life, um, Jesus, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Hours before, he would be betrayed, beaten, hung on a cross. When the, when the most unjust, unfair wicked thing would happen in the universe moments before that in the garden he cries out to God my God my God if if there's if there's any way this cup could pass from me but your will be done 
His life, our salvation, was an act of our Savior submitting to Father. And we are called to submit to the same Father. And those moments, I, I believe Jesus lived his life as a fully human, though he was fully God. He experienced those moments as a human. Let me tell you, that was a dark moment for Jesus. To think to face, not only the suffering and death he would face, but the separation from, from the Father whom he had, had uh, relationship and community with for eternity. The hell he would face on that cross. And yet he submitted. And that is what we're called to do as well. So, let's ask a couple questions. Who are you struggling to submit to? Is it, a, is it a government? Is it a leader? Is it a, a boss? Is it uh, people you have to work for? Is it parents? Or is it, who is it in your life? Your, is it your spouse? Who is it in your life that you are struggling to submit to? Let me ask you this secondly. Are you struggling to submit to God's providence? Are you freaking out, trying to, trying to struggle, trying to fight it out or whatever, instead of just submitting and letting God do what he needs to do? Here's the thing. The gospel, the good news, that the fact that Jesus submitted and gave himself to the Father to death on our behalf, Okay, seals the deal that we know that whatever happens to us is for our good and our benefit because he loves us. It answers the question, is God doing this because I'm a sinner? And the question is, no. God is not punishing you. God does not hate you. He's doing this, whatever you experience, whatever you face, whoever's over you in authority, that is there because he loves you. You're his son or daughter. He loves you and wants the very, very best for you. So let us submit. And that way we can eat and drink and enjoy the little life that he gives us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this very difficult passage, Lord. Uh, difficult in some ways interpretively, but also difficult because we struggle to, to deal with submission. We struggle to deal uh, with authority. And so, Father, I pray, help us to submit like your son has submitted. Help us to rest in your goodness and your control of things. And in that, Lord, give us the grace and love to submit those you've placed in authority in our lives.